Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Today, Pastor Jim asks for something rather interesting from you. But don't worry, there is a good reason for it. He wants you to think about the worst day you've ever had. When you think about how you felt and how you acted, what do you remember about the experience? For example, did you respond with kindness or anger? Did you put on a victim suit or offer thanks to God and find the silver lining in your situation? From the story today, Paul is experiencing a worst day, and his response to it may surprise you. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 as he continues his message, Passing the Baton. There are so many people who want a fresh start in life. They just get, sometimes I think the way we speak to people about these things, probably we need a little bit more practice. Probably the best way to practice is, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, most of you knew, I grew up across the street from a horse farm. And the best way you learn is you fall off and you get back up on the horse. And so sometimes you make a mistake and people hate you. And then you're like, well, probably not going to use that method again. And so you just, you learn. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more compelling it is for us to serve the Lord. And as we serve the Lord, it becomes easier to persevere in encouragement and hope. He says, verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. Another version says, my beloved son. Another version says, my dearly loved son. And then he says this, a typical kind of greeting for him, a little different, but grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we see his affection for Timothy. When he calls him his beloved son, his, we see his care for Timothy esteem for Timothy, plus he calls him a son. Because a lot of what is going to happen for Timothy is Timothy's going to inherit the ministry. He's going to be like, well, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done. This is it for me. The Lord's made it very clear to me that my time is over. And, you know, you've been called for this time. And your training time is, has been good. You've done a good job, but you've got to keep pressing in. And, you know, you do ministry with somebody or you do anything with somebody for a long time and your relationship changes, doesn't it? And their relationship had changed over time. He appeared to be a guy that he just led to, to Jesus and then they work together. You know, sometimes you, you serve with people or you work with people and you're like, well, we work together. That, that, that's kind of all it is. To a partner in ministry to the point in time where he would basically say, he was, he was like a son to me. Again, I want to read that Philippians passage a little bit further when he said they had none like me. Philippians 2, 19 through 22 says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So remember, travel wasn't that easy. He couldn't be everywhere at the same time. He oversaw a whole bunch of different churches. So when he, when he had a problem, he would send one of his trusted guys to a place to find out what was going on. They would deliver the message that he had taught them, and then they would come back and tell him what was going on. He says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. And then look at this, 
that he, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And so that you just see this, this really close tie between these two men who are of a very different age, a very different place in their faith, but they're very, very close. But even more powerful than the Apostle Paul's love for Timothy, he reminds Timothy of three things, the Lord's grace, mercy, and peace. And sometimes you, I said before we began, this is one of my favorite letters of the New Testament. And the reason is, first off, I'm so impressed with this guy that he's going to lose his head, literally. And he just cares more than anything else about promoting the gospel. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to give up. He doesn't want to stop. He wants to keep going. And then I think another thing that he does here that is such an encouragement to me personally is pastors often tell the congregation about God's grace, mercy, and peace. And it's very easy for the pastor to forget that he needs God's grace, mercy, and peace. So sometimes when I read these letters, even though the Apostle Paul may not, and I may have been about the same age at this point in time, I think he's a little older personally, but anyway, but they often forget that. And so here, more than this, you know, apostolic church planting, you know, energizer bunny that just keeps going and going and going, he sounds more here like a pastor and a mentor and a father to this young man. And I think in 2 Timothy, while his theology, of course, always shines, it's just part of who he is, his real heart really shines here. Here in 2 Timothy, it's his heart for this young man. It's his heart for the church. In 2 Corinthians, he wore his heart on his sleeve. You know, know, the more I love, the less I am loved, he says. I was like, wow. (laughs) Right? You know, I'm pouring my heart out for these people and they think I'm an idiot, right? So, but we all feel that way sometimes. So the Apostle Paul reminds him of God's grace and Timothy was seemed to be often in these situations where he was desperate and sometimes when people are desperate rather than to have a bunch of how-tos, we need to just remind them of God's grace and God's love and God's grace, the glorious unmerited pardoning and favor of God. And he also reminds him of God's mercy. No doubt, Timothy trying to fix things at various churches that he was sent to made mistakes. God's mercy to the guilty. Also God's tender affection of his mercy towards those who are caught in the middle of great difficulty. Maybe maybe you find yourself right now in the middle of some incredible difficulty. You just can't, you can't seem to get out of it. And maybe instead of being so hard on yourself, maybe you need to just remember God's mercy that he has on you. And then he also talks to him about peace. How often we have an unsettled heart, don't we? And we need God's peace with that unsettled heart, which brings an awareness to us that no matter what happens, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You know, you say, well, again, I mean, how many times do you think Timothy's heard this from him? Well, not enough. We have a saying in in the ministry and the business world is the people haven't heard it till you're tired of saying it. (laughs) Also, I think it's this. All throughout their time together, Timothy has really needed this kind of encouragement, but he's going to really need it when the Apostle Paul is gone. 
is going to really need it. You know, we don't have the, the letters of the original letters of the apostles, which is good because somebody would have made them into some sort of shrine or something like that. But I know where this one was. This was in Timothy's back pocket when they buried him. <laughs> I'm sure he let people make copies of it while he stood there, but this one, this is a special one to him. Verse three says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Some versions say a clear conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing or constantly. I remember you in my prayers night and day. Verse four, greatly desiring to see you. In other words, says, I long to see you being mindful of your tears. Hmm, interesting. In other words, says, remembering your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith or the sincere faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, another version says, I am sure is in you also. So here he is, verse three, he's in prison, and what does he do? He gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God. Is that normal? your normal way of operating when things are really going poor for you? Right? Just imagine, you know, you're in prison. So how's it looking on my, how's my uh, case looking? Looks like you're going to lose your head, right? Really? Thank God. (laughs) But he gives thanks to God for his dear friend. And it seems to be here that he's thankful that the Lord made him who he is. Timothy was not an apostle. And interestingly enough, we're told in the first of the pastoral epistles, there's three, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Actually, they're not in order. It goes 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy, but we already did a lot of stuff in 1 Timothy already. Titus is a little more positive than, than 1 Timothy was. But we're told a lot about Timothy, about some of his weaknesses. And one would think that, again, he would be constantly compared to the apostle Paul And yet the Apostle Paul doesn't say, you should be more like me. He says, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I think the Apostle Paul's hope is like we would hopefully have for ourselves and for one another, that he would become the man that God made him to be. And part of Timothy's becoming the man God made him to be will be taking the Apostle Paul out of his life that he's no longer got that crutch, that rock to lean on. He's going to have to lean on the Lord. And I think he says these things to him to inspire him, not to make him feel guilty. These two men shared their faith together. Would have loved to have been in on some of those conversations. They served the Lord together. And I think that often we forget that serving the Lord is a form of worship. And so part of the way they worshiped the Lord together was they, was they served. And they did it in tough places. And they did it in times that could have been very discouraging. And they did it in the midst of all kinds of false teachers and people who didn't like them. And the apostle says here, I serve with a pure conscience. Now, not sinless. Okay, not sinless, but guiltless. Why would I say something like that? Do you know that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are not sinless. You, hopefully you're sinning less, but you're not sinless, but you are guiltless. Why? 
because your guilt was taken by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's how he can say, I serve with a pure conscience. That's how this man could be so ready to face death and still be concerned with the things of God and be so concerned about other people. That's how a man in prison can have a spirit of thanksgiving. Because I know where I'm, he's like, I know where I'm going when I die. I am not sinless by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that I am guiltless because of what Jesus did for me. That's how a man can have gratitude in the final days of his life. It's interesting, after this, he says, I serve God with a pure conscience. And then he says this. This is a really interesting remark. He says, as my forefathers did. Now, you'd be like, wait a minute. Your forefathers, they were Jews, and you're a Christian man. You're a follower of Jesus. What in the world are you talking about? What it means is the apostle Paul believes that in serving Jesus, he is a true Jew that he is just like the men and women of the Old Testament who faithfully served God. See, his faith was not a new religion. It was not some new religion. It was the fulfillment of the faith and hope in the coming Messiah that Abraham had, that Moses had, that David had. He just got to see what they had longed to see. To the Apostle Paul, his faith in Jesus Christ was not leaving Judaism, rather it was a continuing in the worship of the living God. So while the apostle Paul taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, took the place of the Jewish law, why? Because in Jesus, the Jewish law had been fulfilled. We learned that in the book of Galatians. None of the apostles, and they all taught the same thing, were disrespectful to Judaism. Now, to some of the religious leaders, they were pretty much in their face, but they were not disrespectful to Judaism. In their minds, when a Jew came to Christ, they were not abandoning the Lord. They were simply coming home. They were simply coming to the place that where God had meant for them to come from the beginning. Verse 3 does tell us something that the Apostle Paul carried over from Judaism. He says, I remember you in my prayers day and night. I think that idea of day and night adds a note of seriousness to it. It's not like all he did was pray for Timothy all day long. But I think what he was just saying, he was, he was a man who was very focused on his prayers. And that's a great example for all of us. And the word prayer is plural, so it's prayers. Now, that could mean that there was different times of day when he prayed but it also could mean that he was praying his way through the day. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So, you know, they took him out of this jail cell or something like that, and he praying for the guy who's taking him out or something like that. And so prison for him was very interesting. The guy was such a go-getter. I mean, God had to send him to prison so he'd write the Bible. <laughs> but he's just, he's just so many of these, we call them the prison epistles, so many of the letters were written from prison, and, and, and so he, was, he also had a lot of time to pray. And that may sound very unusual to you, but many of you have heard of the first great awakening. 
that happened in the 1700s. And it happened in, in Britain, and then the, the contagion spread over to the United States. But did you know that in the second half of the 1600s, that a lot of the pastors in Great Britain were put in jail, and they had prayer meetings together, and they prayed together? And what came out of that? The Great Awakening. And so he was there, and he was praying. And so in verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, I'm greatly desiring to see you. I want to see you. And so that, that's the invitation to what? To come to Rome to bring the apostle joy. He says, I'll, I'll, love to, I'll love to see you. But it would also be for Timothy's joy. Now, he says this little remark in there that we're not really sure what it means. He says, I remember your tears, but we're not told why. Maybe it was the last time he saw him. And they were, he was departing, and he just said, oh, man, uh, you know, be careful, Paul. You're, man, you're always getting in trouble. You're not getting any younger, man. Come on. Be careful. Be careful. Maybe it was the last time Timothy left him, it was, he was just burnt out from the relentless ups and downs of pastoral ministry. And, you know, it's something that you know, no one can ever prepare you for it. You can read a billion books on it, and it can't prepare you for it. And, you know, I do know that I'm personally aware of it quite often, actually, that God is sustaining me not so much from the work, the aggravation, from the heartache. I'm just like, why am I not? I'm upset, but I'm not falling apart at the seams. And Pam's always telling me, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you do it. Maybe it would never happen here, but maybe he was just tired of the difficult people in the church in Ephesus. I mean, I have heard that some church people can be difficult. But I've also heard some pastors can be difficult. So it's just as fair. Verse 5, he says, he draws our attention to Timothy's genuine faith. What does that mean? Does it mean that, oh, he talked a good game? I don't think so. A lot of guys talk a good game. I think he saw evidence of grace operative in Timothy's life. In other words, he was the real deal. And, you know, you're around the church long enough, you will find that there are a lot of people that are not the real deal. There are a lot of professions of faith that are false. And once again, we said that Timothy was not the rock that the apostle Paul was. That should give us all great hope and confidence, right? <laughs> that God uses Timothy's of the world. He's had a lot of, he's got some issues, and he uses people like that. Only Jesus was perfect, but outside of Jesus, you could argue the fact of Jesus, of course, is God. But of a mere human, you could make the argument very well that the Apostle Paul was the most successful Christian that ever lived. And yet, he loves to call out Timothy's genuine faith. And he reminds him of his heritage, of his mother and his grandmother who had faith. And why is that important? I think he's telling him, listen, it's important, Timothy, that you remember that the hand of God has always been upon you. 
And remember in Esther, we studied, we talked about divine providence and how God was working all these things together. And it's so important that we take stock of those things because some days that's all you got. That's all you got. That you know, that you know, that you know, that God called you into his kingdom and that's all you know. And there's going to be days like that. Like he's telling Timothy, you got to look at the divine providence in your life because that will help you be motivated by the grace of God to press on. And I think for a lot of you and for me, for a lot of us, it's just so important. We may not be satisfied with where we are, but sometimes we have to look back at where we came from. And, you know, we say we're not what we were, but we're not what we're going to be. You know what? Some of you are like, well, I don't really want to do that because I want to think like that. Well, you're not giving God the credit then. You got to give God the credit. You know, so you look back at, at maybe some of your, the way you were or your own belief or whatever. And again, maybe you're not happy about where you are right now, but at least you have to say, well, Lord, I cannot believe what I used to be. And I'm so looking forward for what you're going to do in me. And much of Second Timothy actually is an appeal to all of us to press on because it is easy to give up, especially Americans. We are so used to being comfortable. And anytime anything gets a little uncomfortable, you're like, oh, I can't deal with this. Someone came out to me Sunday and said, you know, it was an Easter sermon I've been here before on Easter, usually a lot funnier. I was a little uncomfortable today. And I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? Because, you know, we don't want to make it, we want to put on some show. We want you to really understand what Christ wants to say to you. And so a lot of, again, it's an appeal. This letter is an appeal for us to press on, to help us to remember where we came from. And for Timothy, he reminds him, listen, God brought you into a family where your mother and your grandmother had faith. And that's some of your story. And you ignored that faith, or maybe some of you embraced it, maybe others of you ignored it, or you didn't really make it your own till later in life. For others of you, you're just the first generation. You're the first one. And you're trying to pass it on, and you're doing the best you can, and just sometimes it doesn't seem to work the way you want it to be. But always remember, there was someone who shared Christ with you. There was someone, and Timothy is told, listen, that which was shared with you, okay, dwells within you. He's like, it's almost like a picture, but like, I see it in you, boy. I see it. You know, just the way you, if I said to you, hey, we're having a meeting here today. I got to go talk to the people that are part of this church. Listen, get in there, help them set up the chairs, you know, get some water for the people. And he would be like, and I saw the joy with which you did that. You weren't like, well, I'm Timothy. I don't do that stuff, right? And so that's what it is. And, And he saw that in this guy. He said, I'm persuaded it's also in you. So what is he saying? I'm persuaded that you've transacted with Jesus. You've done your thing. You've put your faith and trust in him. And, you know, when you're a parent, you know, some of your kids may walk with the Lord and some of them may not. My advice to you is this. 
don't be proud and don't beat yourself up. Because a lot of them heard the same thing. And for some of them, they're like, yeah. And others are like, no, (laughs) right? And so they got to meet God somehow. Be confident in, in what you've planted in their souls. Pray for them every day, but don't be arrogant and don't be beating yourself up. It's God's work in their heart. Verse six moves us from Timothy's faith to his giftedness. He says, therefore, and what's it there for? Because of the faith that he just talked about in the last verse, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. Now, the version says, I'm encouraging you, reminding you to fan the flame, to rekindle the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So every true follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift. Did you hear what I just said? You may not know what it is. You may not know what it is, but you have one. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Change by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Change by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.